Welcome to California Groundbreakers, which focuses on the place that starts trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done nationwide and around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. We've created a new podcast series called This Changes Everything, which focuses on what California will look like in the post-pandemic future. We'll be talking with California groundbreakers about how they see the Golden State changing for the better, for the worse, or still to be determined as we move out of shutdown. If you like what you hear, please consider making a podcast creation donation. Click on the Support Us link on our SoundCloud podcast page or on the Donate tab of our website, californiagroundbreakers.org. Being a parent and having a full-time job is, in the best of times, a tough juggling act. Doing both of those during the pandemic? As one of our guests in the episode says, last year was the hardest year I've ever had in my life. So what does the future hold for working parents in California? Will the childcare crisis, the homeschooling debacle, and issues involving remote work and essential work put us on a new path to better work-life balance? Are Joe Biden, the state legislature, and California companies going to make parenting an easier thing to do going forward? And how can we use what we've learned during the pandemic to make sure raising kids and working full-time fills us with happiness instead of with heartburn? Join us as we talk with two people who focus on better work-life balance issues professionally at their day job and also personally at home as parents to young children. Danica Delore is the executive director of the California nonprofit Women's Achievement Network and Development Alliance. Liz Morris is Deputy Director of the Center for Work-Life Law, an advocacy and research organization at the University of California's Hastings Law. They'll tell us what the feds, the state government, and the private sector are working on, and what they should be working on when it comes to paid leave, childcare, gender equality in the workplace, and other issues that impact working parents around the clock. Hi everyone, my name is Vanessa Richardson. I'm Executive Director of California Groundbreakers, and thank you for tuning in to listen. So we were all hit hard by the pandemic, but personally, some of the people I feel for the most are working parents, and in particular, working mothers and mothers who gave up their jobs during the past year because something had to give. Being childless, I can only imagine what it was like a year ago when millions of parents learned that they had to work from home and also immediately take care of their children around the clock and be their school teacher, supervising them in all subjects. Facing even more of a challenge were essential workers who didn't have the ability to work from home. The pandemic left most of them without the childcare they had previously relied on, and they were more exposed to COVID-19 in their workplaces on a daily basis. All of that brings the worry to parents that they will have to choose between their job and taking care of their children, and many of them have already had to choose. Even those who have the option of family leave and other parenting-related benefits have been afraid to use them for fear of risking their job security. Then there's the gender issue. In terms of how well men and women with children are doing in climbing the career ladder during the pandemic, well, the results seem to be the same as they were before the pandemic. One study I read back in August on the technology news website Protocol had surveyed 1,000 salaried employees and found that of men with children working remotely during the pandemic, 34% of them received a promotion and 26% of them saw a pay increase. For women working from home with children, just 9% received a promotion. That's compared to a third of men who did, and only 13% of women got a raise. That's only half of the 26% of men who saw a raise. 
That obviously leads to some major burnout. Another study done in December by the research organization Great Place to Work states that working mothers are 28% more likely to experience job burnout while working from home. But those numbers are higher among Black, Asian, and Latina mothers compared to their white counterparts. And that is all leading to a term that was just coined during this pandemic, a she-session. Recession, she-session, get it? Between February 2020 and February of this year, the number of U.S. women in the workforce dropped by 2.3 million, compared to a 1.8 million dropout rate by men in the workforce. That's a half a million more women who left. This she-session is erasing several years of gender equality progress in the workplace, and it may take several years to make back those gains. So what's to be done about all this? Well, in his first State of the Union address back in April, President Joe Biden announced the American Families Plan, which aims to build a stronger economy that makes it easier for families to break into the middle class and easier for them to stay in the middle class without so much fear of losing their jobs. And as we record this interview, California Governor Gavin Newsom is soon to announce his proposed state budget for the new year, which will most likely address funding of things specifically related to parenting, child care, and other work-life balance issues. So what will the state and federal funding cover? What should they cover? And as California opens back up, schools go back to the real-life classrooms, and more companies decide it's okay to go back to the office, will working parents have to go back to the way things were before the pandemic? So what will state and federal funding cover? What should they cover? And as California opens back up, schools go back to real-life classrooms, and more companies decide it's okay to go back to the office, will working parents have to go back to the way things were before the pandemic? Or has this past year led to a new paradigm that changes the way we do parenting and the work-life balance going forward? I have a couple of great people to ask these questions to. There are two people who know workplace and work-life balance issues very well because they work on them for a living and they're both working parents. So let me introduce first Danica Delore. She's executive director of the organization Women's Achievement Network and Development Alliance, or WANDA for short. And it's a nonprofit based in Silicon Valley that builds socioeconomic mobility for low-income single mothers. And also, we have Liz Morris. She is Deputy Director of the Center for Work-Life Law. That's an advocacy and research organization at the University of California Hastings Law, based in San Francisco. And their mission is to advance gender, racial, and class equity in the workplace and in education. So Danica and Liz, thanks very much for joining me here today. Thank you. So I wanted to ask you both first, in your professional roles, what there's obviously so many major impacts and major shifts in work and life balance that has happened over the past year. And I was just wondering if you could give us a couple of the most notable ones that you have seen in your in your professional roles. So Danica, I'd like to start with you. My professional role being my own experience or the clients that we're serving. I just want to be clear. Well, if you want, if you want to combine personal and professional, what you have seen and what you experienced, both as a, a executive director of Wanda and as a working parent. Right. Well, our organization really tries to focus on the resiliency of women. So I just want to first state I'm amazed at what people are juggling right now, including I think we've all gone beyond our own expectations. Um, but what we're seeing. Um, Look, I know on my own level, I'm a mother of two children and I work as well as my partner and we do have some resources and it's been a real challenge. Uh, you know, the, we have young children, the education system where we are working 
in many ways like teachers as well as childcare providers and trying to sustain our own professional roles has been challenging. And in the women we serve, um, they are the sole provider for their kids. So they're in these roles and they do not have often the luxury to be able to step away. Not that a lot of women have wanted to do that by any means, but you just can't. So I, I've heard, you know, the childcare situation was really difficult and it's led to quite a bit of, um, it's not just the economic stress of potentially losing your job, but it's also often caring for a sick family, watching your own health and the constant stress that the pandemic has caused, as well as really wanting to make sure that your child is getting the education that they need. So we've seen, if anything, um, a real need, not just for economic security from the women that we're serving, but also just a, a sense of community, does that make sense? Um, and knowing that they are not alone in this and everyone is also challenged um, in this regard. Liz, what about you? What what questions are coming to you uh, at the Work Life Law Center and, and what are you experiencing on your own, if anything? Yeah, well, I really liked what Danica said about resiliency because I think that what parents and mothers especially uh, have been dealing with yet waking up every morning and putting one foot in front of the other is just incredible. Uh, but still parents, especially mothers, are struggling and they've been struggling with very little relief for the last year. Uh, you know, we see things starting to improve with vaccines and partial partial reopenings of schools, but there's still no definitive end in sight. And, you know, the parents that call our free legal helpline at the Center for Work-Life Law are people who have lost their jobs or been fired because they don't have anyone to watch their children, their mental health has plummeted, their children's educational attainment has, has suffered, people are worried about their children, they're worried about their own health, about their family members' health, they're locked in their homes with no release valve, and um, it's just very challenging. On a personal note, you know, I think it's first important to say that I have so much privilege. I have a secure job, understanding colleagues, financial security. I'm in a two-parent household. Um, I'm not worried about paying rent, putting food on the table. And still, even in those absolutely ideal circumstances, this has been one of the hardest years of my life. I have two young children. My first day back from maternity leave was March 16th, 2020 also known as the first day of lockdown. Oh, so boy. that was quite a return. Um, and, you know, for the first five months of the pandemic, I didn't have any childcare. And my husband and I both work jobs where we're in meetings most of the day. So we sort of, you know, divided the, the working hours in half and it was just utter chaos and, and very stressful. Um, and, you know, we've had childcare three and a half days a week now. So that's made a huge difference and has really highlighted to me how childcare providers are the backbone of our economy. Well, congratulations to you both for making it through this this past year. I, I was just going to note that I am seeing Liz and Danica on videos record and they and they say, oh, but you you both look look good. So thumbs up. <laughs> I don't know about that, but thank uh. you. <laughs> 
Hats off to you, though. And I, I wanted to start uh, with, a, I guess, an overview question of um, this, this Working Families Act that uh, the Biden administration has proposed, and also here in the state, what the legislature is looking at in terms of bills to pass, uh, what the, Governor Gavin Newsom may consider putting in his uh, the, the budget for the new year. Um, what, what are you... What would you? Well, I guess what are you seeing if you if you see anything um, when you look over the 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 Biden bill um, proposal and what the legislature is considering? What would what should they be considering? What would you like to see more of in terms of uh, alleviating uh, issues for uh, families and 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 really improving the parenting and work life balance? Um, well, I'll just note that uh, this is Danica. Um, just you know. The concept around um, quality uh, subsidized preschool is huge. And for some reason, you know, I mean, that is part of the childcare system. And when you have young children uh, and you are working, it's very difficult to navigate that. And it's, you know, especially in California and the Bay Area, especially the cost here is um, very high. Even if you're in the quote, middle class level, you know, your childcare costs and your housing costs are often very excessive to what, you know, you should be paying. And so I think that's exciting to think about um, actually having some support around that. Again, I, I agree with you, investment in quality childcare as well is really important. I think it's been neglected for a long time and these are essential jobs. They're really skill-based jobs and we should be investing in, in, in that area. And actually even the college piece is important because as our young next generation is transitioning to the next level, you know, um, the debt that could incur uh, for investment in their own education is huge. And, you know, if you're a mother trying to save uh, for anything, you have that 529 on your mind. And so there's yet another expense. It's even hard to wrap your mind around when you're trying to pay, you know, rent and or mortgage if you're so lucky and also these childcare costs. So I, I was I'm hopeful that there'll be some progress in that area. And Liz, what are what are you uh, seeing on the federal and state level that you like? What would you like to see more of? Well, one of the things that we've been seeing that is super promising is a bill that's actually grown out of the pandemic. And uh, it was introduced by Assembly Member Buffy Wicks. It's the uh, Anti-Discrimination for Caregivers Act, or AB 1119. And it addresses the devastating impacts that we have seen on women, low-wage workers, people of color because of their caregiving responsibilities. So this law would prohibit discrimination against family caregivers. And that is actually not revolutionary. That's something that's already being done in other states and already almost 30% of the American workforce is covered by one of these anti-discrimination laws. Um, and you know, despite California normally leading the way on public policy, we're woefully behind with this part of the law. But but AB 1119 would give us an opportunity to redeem ourselves as a state, as the nation's policy leader, because it has another piece, which would require reasonable accommodations for caregivers who are unexpectedly facing school closures or care unavailability. Um, so 
if you know a mother's child's school becomes unavailable because of a wildfire or because um, of some other sort of health emergency, then they would be entitled to reasonable accommodations that are similar to the types of accommodations employers are required to provide to people with disabilities. Um, and I really love this accommodations piece of the bill because it has the most potential, in my opinion, to help low-wage workers and people of color. Low-wage workers and people of color are less likely to ha have flexibility around where and when they work. And so these types of accommodations are critical for caretakers. And I, when you said Buck, Buffy Wicks, the assembly member who introduced that bill, I know that name now because I think she got a lot of, well, I don't know, fame is the right word, but didn't she come to the assembly for a vote last summer? She had just given birth and because the votes were required to be done in person, she had to drive from Oakland with her baby. She was breastfeeding and she had to put a vote on the floor. There were all these images of her with her baby on her shoulder while she was giving her vote. And I, I think there was a lot of commentary on, wow, even the state legislature has some uh, pretty crappy uh, requirements for, for, for making their people come to work during a pandemic. Yes, absolutely. Talk about the need for accommodations. Yeah, I, I'm going to I have a question about that a, a little later on. Um, one area I, I wanted to know about whether California is leading the pack or in the middle or or far behind is about paid leave, because that seems to be something I read about. People are concerned about asking about paid leave, using it. Uh, I believe it's offered here in California. I was wondering if, if now with this pandemic and what people have seen, do you think it will become more widespread and easier to access now without fear of, of losing your job or risking job security? Uh, who would like to start with paid leave? I'm happy to. Oh, Liz. Okay. So this is a situation where, as usual, California is leading the nation because we are one of only a small handful of states that offers paid leave. But actually across the nation, there's widespread and bipartisan support for paid leave. This is something that, regardless of political party, most Americans are ready for. The devil, of course, is in the details. You know, how are we going to pay for leave? Um, but Biden has a strong plan for medical leave for serious medical issues, as well as pay time off when somebody becomes a parent. Uh, and, you know, the other thing that we really need at the at the national level are sick days because too many vulnerable workers are really just one sick child away from being fired. Hi, this is Caleb Clark, executive producer of California Groundbreakers Podcasts. We're working on more episodes of This Changes Everything, literally as I speak, but putting them together takes a fair amount of time and money. If you like what you're hearing in this episode and you want to hear more of them, you can help us in two ways. First, consider being a Groundbreaker supporter right now by making a podcast creation donation. Click on the Support California Groundbreakers box on the right-hand side of our podcast page on SoundCloud. That's at soundcloud.com slash Groundbreakers or click on the Donate tab of our homepage of our website at californiagroundbreakers.org. And if you have questions to ask about how California will change in post-pandemic times, or you want to suggest a topic to cover, or an expert to interview for an episode of This Changes Everything, email us at info at californiagroundbreakers.org and give us a few details so we can get in touch. Thanks for lending us your ears and giving us your support as well.
So I wanted to ask you both about uh, the issue of burnout and what you're seeing in terms of uh, who you're working with and who you serve about burnout and maybe uh, is there a disconnect between the way that they're working uh, now, the pandemic has made them work from home or change their work style and what businesses are requiring? Because I see a lot of stories now about how a lot of companies are uh, saying they're going to open back up. They've announced their their dates. They're seeming to want people to come back into the office, uh, a hybrid work uh, style, or maybe even saying, you know, you're coming back. And I feel like there is resistance now because people have shown they, from working from home, that they could do it from home. And I'm wondering what you're seeing in terms of our businesses and workers. Are there is there going to be some kind of uh, uh, issue there about how the way work is structured because it has just been so changed in this past year? Well, Danica. Yeah, I can make a comment. Um, At least for some of our moms, you know, if they had the luxury of a job that they could work from home, uh, you know, that's obviously something to consider. Some of the women in our program, you know, haven't had the ability to work from home. They had positions that didn't allow for that. So, um, you know, there's that um, difficult coming together of worrying about risk for your own family, um, some, you know, if you have uh, health disparities and, and you're caring for someone who's ill, your own situation, and also needing to go back to the workforce, um, you know, and also needing to find care. And, and early on, that was a challenge. And then, of course, there's the school situation. So if you're also needing to, you know, some of the, every county seems to have a different plan for how they're bringing kids back into the classroom. So that does have an effect. Um, in the public school system on the moms and when they can, you know, fully go back and really focus, refocus on their job. So I think um, some of the women, you know, in our program have firsthand experience. uh, They have legitimate fear of doing that. Um, And at the same time, they need some relief. So in a way, there's that burnout is also tied into your own sense of moving on and getting back to how things will work. Um, But again, we've had women on both sides, you know, the gig economy was a big part of some of the women in our program and and what they did for a living. And that was, um, you know, that was affected earlier on. There's other laws that don't cover people under that. So it's just been, it's a real good question. And I think it's one of those areas that's still pretty muddy and figuring out how how it'll work for everyone across the board. Everyone's situation is going to be a bit different. And Liz, what about you in terms of uh, businesses and workers, what they're seeing getting back to work looks like? Is it uh, the same or is there going to be, is there some tension there about a work-life balance and getting back to work, whether it's virtual or face-to-face? Yeah, well, I liked how Danica, I think you called it a luxury to be able to work from home. We see that big tech companies, Facebook, Google, that used to place a high premium on FaceTime before the pandemic are now offering remote work options to their employees. Um, But it's also important to keep in mind that remote work isn't available to many folks in the lowest paid jobs, who of course are the least likely to have reliable childcare. So, you know, someone working at an Amazon warehouse can't work from home people in retail, fast food, janitorial, and so many other paid or underpaid sectors can't work from home. 
At the same time, I do, uh, the lawyer inside of me wants to point out that there's a huge misconception that hourly employees cannot work from home because, you know, they're on the clock, they have to be supervised, they have to clock in, they have to clock out. And I think we've seen during the pandemic that actually many hourly employees can successfully work from home, administrative assistants, data entry people, call center folks, customer service reps. And so I just want to make sure that when possible, these remote work opportunities are being made available equitably. I wanted to expand on that question about uh, employers and what they can and should be doing here in California to help working parents' lives uh, uh, improve them going going forward, uh, whether they work in an office or or out in the field. Uh, are there any businesses or organizations that you see as good examples for other businesses and organizations to follow when it comes to assisting uh, workers and working parents with that work-life balance? Um. Oh, this is Danica. I can um, just um, chime in on that. Um, you know, again, this is um, it depends on the situation. Obviously, there's a lot of the tech firms have made accommodations with on-site childcare uh, subsidies for for those types of things, with a you know the intent to provide a work-life balance. Again, some small businesses who have also been affected aren't going to have the ability to do that. Um, but I think it's really important that. Um, you know, that it is looked at as a work-life balance. It's not just work and childcare. We also have our own sense of, you know, our mental health we have to take care of. So it's really being clear about um, being in touch with your employees and also the mental stress that they're probably dealing with. And so I, I'd love to see some more of that, you know, holistic approach if possible. But again, you know, it depends on what industry you're talking about. Um, I also know that a lot of those jobs are very intense and now women are, you know, leaving the workforce or maybe feel often driven to be more competitive in those roles. I, you know, I know you said there's a work shortage, but I've seen from a lot of moms, really, it's really difficult to get a job. Again, it depends on the industry you're in. The competition is really stiff. So, um, again, you know, Liz, you might you probably have your, some really good insights into that as well. Well, I think that the most important thing that companies can do or try to do is to change their culture around caregiving. The reality is that due to shifting demographics, there you know is an increased need for elder care. There are evolving trends in men providing more care now. All of this is adding up to the fact that most employees are going to have caregiving responsibilities at some point in their lives. And Already, one in five workers cares for a child and an elderly family member. And so when companies don't support these folks, they're obviously hurting those families, but they're actually also hurting their own bottom line. And so I think if employers will change their uh, perception and training and policies and sort of move away from these gendered and racialized stereotypes around family care, then we would be in a much, they would be in a much better place to support caretakers. And again, I'm we need to make sure that employer policies around this are being equitably applied. So speaking of men, I did want to bring up the men. I wanted to ask, where are they in this equation? Because as someone who reads, you know, researches these topics and reads a lot of media stories, they're always interviewing and quoting women. And I think, well, are they 
maybe they are single, but I just feel like there's, is there a father somewhere? And there was a New York Times story that came out, I guess, earlier this year. They profiled three uh, working mothers uh, and how their year had been. And I believe at least two of them were married and maybe three. But there was a very telling photo in in this article, and I think they put it on their purpose. Um, there was a photo, it was a, a photo of, a, of one of the moms getting her daughter ready in the in the bathroom. And the daughter was sitting on the bathroom counter and she looked agitated. Maybe she was crying. She just did not look very happy. And her mom was trying to put on her socks. And then the other half of the photo was next door to the bathroom was the office where the father worked at a very pristine desk, very clean, no mess whatsoever. He was just focused on his laptop and he looked very serene. And I thought that's a very telling photo. And I went to the comments section because New York Times still has reader comments and all the comments uh, were about, why isn't that man helping with his daughter? And uh, to me, I was just wondering, is that, does that say something about the, the balance of the division of work, uh, or is that just, you know, it, it depends. And I was just wondering, based on your experience, um, are, are men stepping up more and helping with the, the parenting, the childcare, the schooling, uh, or is it a case by case basis? Are things improving? What are you seeing? I can totally understand the frustration of those New York Times readers, not because of my own personal experience, but, you know, seeing that kind of image, um, it's, hard for women to bear the disproportionate burden of childcare and domestic work, which uh, we know for sure they're doing. It's bad for gender equity at work. It's bad for pay disparities. It's bad for children. And it's bad for men who miss out on the richness of close family relationships. And I often hear people asking, well, why aren't men stepping up? And I, I get a little bit sad when I hear that, probably in part because of my own personal experience, you know, being married to an incredible father who has stepped up in every way. Um, but also because I think that it's critical that we keep in mind that men are operating within the rules of our society and there are incredible pressures on them to perform as ideal workers who put their employer's interests above their families. You know, they're just the breadwinners. They're not child care providers. And when they violate those norms, they face incredibly harsh penalties in many circumstances around pay, promotion, opportunity. So we really do need leaders to you know, step up and talk about this. And some people have. But sometimes I get a little sad because I think that men are being unfairly blamed on an individual level, like it's their own personal failure when actually it's a societal problem and a public policy problem. It's not a problem with individual men. Yeah, I agree with Liz. There's a, it's like, um, it's a bias that's kind of ingrained in society. You know, I mean, even my own husband was trying to debate whether or not he should take paid family leave. It's like, there's this, it's something holds you back. And I agree. And um, I think there is still very much you work the, you know, the double eight hour day, you know, when you're, when you're a mom. And as you said, Vanessa, you know, the statistics are showing how so many women have left the workforce, I think it's also just a blatant, um, you know, acknowledgement of the inequities, you know, if they're maybe they're paid less, so the higher income earner is the one that's going to continue with the job. And again, it's it, but but I think that support and flipping that to really say, um, encourage men to have that active role and 
and uh, yeah, change how we how we view childcare and move it away from just you know pre- predominantly being known as this additional work that women do while they're really trying to get their career going. You know, it's really got a it's a very draconian way of looking at things, and we have to really uh, I think change the dialogue around how that works. Yeah, and I'm really yeah. hope. Oh, sorry to cut oh. you off. Oh, no, no, Vanessa. Um, I'm really hopeful. We know that men during the pandemic have been doing increased amounts of childcare, and many men are reporting feeling closer to their children because of lockdown. <laughs> and so I'm very hopeful that that's going to cause increased demand in the workplace that, you know, men are going to want to continue. Many men are going to want to continue in this role after the pandemic. Um, so we'll see what happens. And I wanted to ask about childcare too, because I, when I was growing up, I did have a daycare after school. My parents both worked. And so I, I my school had a program uh, right after school and I stayed until six. And then I feel like I see every so often, uh, there's a, a few businesses that have a, uh, a an on-site daycare center. And it just feels like after this year, and you two probably, you know this more than me, just this this need for um, for helping with childcare, I, I, and California being such an innovative state in so many ways, are people thinking? Are businesses thinking? Or is anyone thinking about innovating how how and where childcare can be done? Uh, businesses can they see this as a viable employee benefit to have a childcare center on site? Are there collectives like groups getting together to say let's let's organize? A twenty first, a twenty twenty post pandemic style of childcare group collective. Are you seeing anything like this? Is this something that you think there will be more of a need and a and a push for doing uh, childcare in a better way? Danica, I'd like to, can I start with you? Yeah, I mean, I I can't give you. I don't know about the trend. I, I have seen a couple really interesting models pop up a couple years ago, uh, pre pandemic. Uh, there was someone who was doing more. It was almost like a membership base. So they provided a functional, really great workspace for independent contractors, and employers could you know subsidize their membership, and they had really quality care, education, and care there. You could kind of control your hours that you needed. Um, you know, obviously the challenge there was, I think, you know, paying for the building that they were in. And again, pay, they had good salaries for their childcare providers because they want, you know, they want to have um, the skills and, and also have, have that um, supported. So I thought that was a really interesting model, and especially for maybe companies that don't have the facilities to be able to offer that on site. But, you know, great if they could become a member and try to support employees that way. Or again, if you're in this independent contractor status or consultant, you still have an option to work professionally and and, um, and have your child care needs met. Liz, what about you? Are you seeing any movement in terms of uh, considering the how child care can be reframed and redone? Well, I have been glad to hear that the, oh, sorry, my son just came in. Okay, can you go, can you go out, please? I'm on a podcast. Go tell Papa. Sorry. Okay. That's okay. Um, so. Um, so cut, I'll ask you that question again. Okay. <laughs> the reality, I think it's actually I know you so can funny. keep that in if you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we will. Get we will. Good. Uh, there you go. All right. So yeah, uh, childcare. Uh, on that yeah. note, yes. Any anything that you're seeing 
<laughs> well, you mentioned that there's a bit of talk around employers providing on-site childcare. And while that is an absolute dream for any parent, I do want to, again, going back to this point about how these work-life benefits are provided or to whom they're provided, I would want to make sure that that type of thing was given out equitably and not just for you know, the most sought after, highly compensated professionals. And so that makes me think that probably this is the type of solution that needs to come from public policy in the same way that, you know, paid leave needs to come uh, through public policy solutions because employers are just not going to step up because it's expensive. And so I've been heartened to see that pre-K and all of that is important to the Biden administration. So just a couple more questions for you both. For moms who have been affected, actually, well, parents, parents who've been affected by this uh, pandemic and and work issues, and they're out of the workforce now, uh, and they want to get back in uh, soon or or shortly, any advice that you have for them um, as we as the state opens back up? I don't know that I have any particular advice except to say this is not your fault. You did not fail. The government failed you. Society failed you. The fact that you're struggling to get back to work is not your own shortcoming. And with that in mind, I'd love to see tax policies, training programs, other incentives for companies to bring women and mothers back. Yeah. And, uh, we know with our moms, it's, it's really about getting the mental space to have a plan. Um, you know, let's hope this never happens again, but we're going to be seeing the, um, ramifications of this for years and years. So uh, it's trying to find the space to create a plan, get really specific on your finances, if possible, you know, take advantage of any and all those programs that are out there and most importantly, you know, take care of yourself. Um, you know, Zoom is not a replacement for seeing friends and having community, but it's absolutely important to try to maintain those ties. Um, it'll help with um, burnout and just your overall sense of well-being. So. And my last question is, we're looking at the future of and I, I, I wonder about the future of parenting and, and work-life balance as seen by current parents and also younger people who probably have followed along too and seen their parents or their friends with uh, kids and jobs uh, coping and thinking about hmm, parenting and work-life balance. What does that mean to me? So I was just thinking, how do you think people will look at at being parents and having a work-life balance in the future. Is, is it a new paradigm? Are we smashing up uh, the old rules and, and, and this is a good time to make new ones? Uh, what, what do you think will, or will things go back to the way they were? What do, what do you think? Uh, Danica. Yeah, I mean, I from some of the younger moms we've spoken to, I think part of it, it's a bit overwhelming. I mean, if you're trying to, uh, you know, go to college, you're, you're dealing with debt, you're dealing with your career changes. If you have a job, you're often working really hard because you're proving yourself. And so, you know, thinking about the future and all that goes, especially, again, this is a little bit of, you know, a bubble here in, in the Bay Area, but it's real, uh, you know, getting getting a handle on 
all the future um, goals you may have can be a bit challenging or a bit daunting. So I think that there's a new perspective on really looking at all that and making sure you have a plan in place. Um, and uh, again, not letting the overwhelm, you know, just take it day by day and have a plan as best as they can. But I definitely have heard, you know, it, it makes me think twice about how, you know, how to think about starting a family at a younger age, especially. I think we're going to see um, folks who are probably like I had my family older, you know, I just didn't have the means at the time. And so, you know, and it's still a challenge. So perspective. And Liz, what about you? You had the final word on this. Then I guess I we've been talking a lot about mothers, so I'll have this final word um, about fathers. We've seen huge shifts over the past decades around men's expectations about the roles that they want to play in their children's lives. And so I hope that that closeness that I mentioned earlier that men are reporting feeling as a result of spending more time with their children is going to just, you know, give additional fuel to that shift that we've seen happening. And I hope that men are going to want to not return exactly to the way it was before in terms of how much involvement they had with their children's lives. All right. Well, we're recording this at the end of a long workday, and I know you both have children to attend to, so I'll let you go. I hope you get some rest, R&R, and thank you very much, both of you, for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to California Groundbreakers, This Changes Everything, Episode 8, which was recorded on May 11, 2021. Thanks to Danica Delore and Liz Morris for taking the time to talk with us. Special thanks to our donors, John and Francis Taz, for funding the production of this podcast. Also, thanks to Nate Graham and Caleb Clark for recording and producing this podcast. And of course, thanks to you for listening. If you find our podcasts worth listening to in these difficult times, please make a donation and support our efforts to produce informative and inspiring conversations about what Californians should expect in the post-pandemic future. You can do that, as well as keep tabs on upcoming podcast episodes, events, and other information about us by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org.